Hi, hello, and welcome to the after party after the end of the world. It's over. The end of the world is over. We're back to a world again. It's like that cut screen at the end of a zombie movie where everybody is like in a zombie wasteland still, but like having cocktails. (laughs) The end question mark? Yeah. And then it's like teasing a second movie and then there's more credits and then like Nick Fury shows up. It's like, what? (laughs) At the end of the zombie movie? Yeah. (laughs) Nice. It's crossover. It sounds great. Zombie the whole time. Did you bring cocktails? No. Got water though. Okay. Well, guys, we have a ton of questions from our listeners, both in our patron-only Discord and from Twitter. So And email. And email. I'm ready. Let's just get right into it, shall we? Yeah. Let's do it. So let's start with some of those finale questions, because the folks at home have just listened to it. I could not bear to listen to it. So um, <laughs> I'm going to just do that when I'm emotionally ready. So let's start. Eric, what was that faint purple outline in the sky at the end of the finale? Was it the council back in his prison or the five-star constellation being set back in place? That's from Pan. Yes, it was the latter. The, the whole thing, I mean, the whole crux of the story was that the council was in that astral prison in the sky. Like, it was always there, and it was covered up by sky. But, you know, if you looked really hard enough and you knew that purple was, like, the magic color, the, uh, those five stars are put back. Especially because it was, like, daytime, too. So I kind of like the idea that it was, like, very faint. Like, when you see just the faint outline of the moon. Yeah. When it's, like, very, very clear out. I love that. What happened to the Council of Bright when they transformed into this giant thing? Is it some kind of spell or cantrip from Macy? Uh, Is it Ganondorf? Yeah, it was just Ganondorf. Ganondorf. The entire last arc, House Party, was inspired very hard by Breath of the Wild. I'm not a Zelda person. I've never played a Legend of Zelda game, like, with intent before. Really? Yeah. Well, I I played a little bit of Wind Waker, but, like, I didn't get it. And, like, that's not the one that you jump into. It's like, it's Link, but he's cel-shaded. So it's the same, (laughs) but this thing's weird. So I just never really played those. And they kind of, like, the openness was, like, really confusing to me and the way you do puzzles just to kind of, like, access different places. Very different to me, like, very nonlinear. But that's how I made House Party. Like, the mansion was the way that the final, like, Ganondorf place was in... I don't know for those of you who play it, but you can kind of like go whatever route you want depending on whatever skills you have. And then you guys decided to go through a secret back entrance and that was accessible to you depending on all of the perception rolls and whether or not Brinks tried to sabotage you. I don't know if you remember Brandon, but Brinks did come back and say like, nothing there. Oh, yeah. No, in the editing phase, I realized what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I do love that video game bosses have to health bars is like they do the big transfer and they turn into this big thing so i like the idea that the undying light energy could be harnessed in these ways we had already established that they have this and the shadow does exist from the shadow realm uh where Was Yu-Gi-Oh lives the shadow realm <laughs> no but you know what i'm talking about uh, <laughs> also Yu-Gi-Oh does not live there you the game Yu-Gi-Oh lives in the shadow realm <laughs> the game came fully formed from a shadow it just popped up and then all these cards existed so, i just well actually the guy with the Yu-Gi-Oh podcast <laughs> So I like the idea that there was a transformation there that they turned into a big light and dark monster. Yeah. And that that is something that 
can happen, I think, if you use these magics monstrously. We've all talked about, like, using this magic and the different types of energy that we explored. I mean, the whole thing is, like, it could empower a warlock like it did to Johnny. It can power Warforged and mechanics. It is a, a life source like it is for Franny. And then it, it's a literal piece of a god. So I think that there's a lot of different things that happens from Undying Light energy and something that I really wanted to uh, hammer home, especially in the final battle. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What would happen if Franny just didn't have any more Undying Light Juice for the rest of her life? Oh, no. Brandon is too macabre. I can't imagine it. <laughs> so this is actually another thing that I pulled this from Futurama. For those of you who watch, you know, robots run on beer and alcohol. Yeah. Like, they use that for power. And I always like when Bender didn't have alcohol, he turned oh, into a, yeah. like a boozy hobo. Like, he had the, the rust, like, uh, wino beard. beard yeah. And he's just like out of it and I like the idea that Franny although she's so like crass and gross and who she is amazing that, perfect a, idol a, which she is as a hag like yeah. that's some witchy shit which I really liked about her yeah. she then regressed into this regular grandma which she hates being and she's not helpful she's just like fucking Mary Poppins but even Mary Poppins is helpful <laughs> you know she's just like a British grandmother and I kind of like that so she would have been really unhappy she would have been very low energy and just like Non, non-magical, Should I think, by the end of that. Stuck as a grandma for life. Yeah, well, I mean, remember how how powerful she was during Hunty Party? She just threw whole person and suggestion and command at everybody. So she was a very powerful witch. So it, she would have uh, really kind of wasted away. That's that's a really sad thought. I'm sorry for putting it out in the world. It's a good Potent, question. Yeah. Like, it's real. <laughs> so I know we played it as a joke because she didn't have access to it, but, like, true facts, you know? Speaking of which, Eric, knowing that you and I met at a English undergraduate program known for its like postmodern, right? You went to the same school. (laughs) (laughs) Known for kind of postmodern approaches that you're definitely going to want to give people a definitive answer because author's intent matters the most. That's true. Everything that I say is real. So, (laughs) so several people in the Discord wanted to know who did those dang hands belong to? Is it the Undying Light and Shadow? Is it Johnny? Is it Good and Bad? What are these hands? I will give you the context surrounding it. I don't think it necessarily matters who it is, whether or not it is Johnny or the Undying Light or the Shadow. I think like they're all kind of entwined, which is what happened to Johnny. He faded into the veil, very serious Black-esque in that way. So it kind of doesn't matter. But I think what is important and something that got set up was that Brandon and Tracy, <laughs> I'm including both of you, killed the God of Death. So yeah. like... It's, no one can die. You have to go to this way station, which is what Adama was dealing with and put you in that boardroom again. But, like, you guys couldn't die. So when you all passed out from that huge blast that happened from, I, I think it was Sunburst, but I also made it, like, affect everyone because the, the having the skeletal whale back there again kind of, like, messed so cool. with everything. You, like, ha- do have cosmic friends, which I think we established in the games that you played against the gods. It's like, you have a relationship with these deities, and, like, that's what happens. So, obviously, we also see that the Council of Bright is perverting a lot of things, including Undying Light Energy. So, like, a lot of people have problems here. So, whether or not it is Johnny or the gods, I think it doesn't really matter. Whatever that means to you and who wants to reach out and help these people is kind of up the interpretation of the listener. But I think the context is that, like... They're different manifestations of the same source. Exactly. More like there were deities at work. Like there was a higher power. I know that there is another question about why I did that. (laughs) And again, it's because no one can die because Brandon knocked the fuck out the god of death. I didn't. I I did nothing. No, I think it was was, you kept telling me like I would have killed Zayul and I'm like, I will let you. I've done no murders. (laughs) 
He's but, put that upon Tracy. But it was the fact that I was not planning on that to happen. I did want, at the end, after the Bonewell came out, is, there is a sense of desperation from the monster and the play of the Council of Bright. So he did that big sunburst, which damages everything in like a sphere. And that included you and Chad and him and uh, everybody else kind of around in that area. So like everyone kind of passed out on the same time. And like, you know, from video games, like lots of video games don't know what to do. It was like, you won. Anyway, congratulations if it happens at the same time. But I, I needed something to happen because just your damage went out. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised that that happened. Honestly, I thought you guys were going to get knocked out earlier because you gave so much up during the God challenges. And just there was no short rest during that entire last sequence. Why, ye of little face. I mean, I was trying to kill you, so. <laughs> <laughs> ye of murderous intent. Yeah, right. <laughs> So that definitely gets at Hart's question around, like, what were the conditions for the PCs to win that final fight? So, like, say nice things about DM. <laughs> <laughs> say nice things to Eric. So I had this this 11-page document that I made just for that final one. It and was what my, was the title of it, Eric? Uh, C-O-B-B-B-E-G Fight. Council oh. of Bright, Big Bad, Evil Guy Fight. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you did tease to us that you made a document called The Finale Pip and the Finale. That was for... <laughs> the Finale Pip and the Finale ended up being for... Hunting party and then house party. Like, it grew. That thing is a monster of a document. Final, <laughs> final, V2, promise, yes, this time, final copy. <laughs> exactly. So here are the conditions. For Council of Bright version one, you had to destroy the Councilmobile throne turret around him. The other thing was that there was that uh, the barrier that was protecting him, and then he had pretty high HP but very low AC. So it was just, like, hitting him as many times yeah. as possible. So, like, he was going to get knocked down, but then you had the second... HP bar. Right. And then he had a really big HP bar. I will say that Franny also cut down a lot of the HP from making the pleas to the undying light. Oh, she did? She did. Oh, it's I like, thought she was doing nothing. Okay. No, she took like chunks out of the max HP. Like you guys were going from one side and she was going from the other side when you think about it. So then the, the conditions was seal him away or kill him. And the how was Franny or the speaker, if you conjured her, could bring all five items together in full concentration and you need the council right to stay in the same spot for a full round as they were trying to seal them away. Mm -hmm. So, like, everything broke bad. Like, you're not <laughs> even close to what ended up happening. But you ended up doing all the all the action. I mean, having Chad in there really let Anara do sneak attacks the entire time. Yeah. And uh, the council break got a lot more panicked as a lot of things started failing. And Franny was really, like, taking chunks out of his HP. Because he's also a coward. That's... I mean, 100%. He had he had a, a bubble protecting him. He had someone else on the turret. And then he had to, like, have energy surrounding him. I mean, he's not, like, the Council of Bright never died. It was just, like, he returned back to his regular form and then he tried to run away. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that's the kind of person he is, 100%. I didn't realize how resonant uh, the Council of Rights butt was going to be. During that fight. <laughs> I know. It, I was wondering during that fight, too. I'm like, one of the things that we do here on Join the Party is we don't make gross jokes. Like, we don't want to turn anybody off because we're having a bunch of, like, bodily humor, you know, or just, like, we don't want to get gross. We want to do the the story. But that felt so in character and so true to, totally like, did. the fucking macabre, stupid type jokes that we would be making in that situation <laughs> and for me too like that battle was so enthralling just to do and having that little through line of humor and a reason to like yell in the face of your enemy i don't know it was really fun yeah i, I did a lot yeah i think that's the thing that like jtp does best i think that's the lines that we thread were like the emotional stakes but also at the same time butt jokes you know? yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah 
Uh, Zach Coog's new moderator, hello Zach, would like to know, was the final boardroom scene that saved and sent Anar and Tracy back after the council detonated his final form all part of your plan, Eric? Or did you have to factor that in because Tracy killed slash disrupted Zayul in the prior episode? <laughs> I didn't think people were going to die. I thought the condition, especially with Franny, who had all of the items, and then when the speaker, who was eligible for conjuring, you had to roll like a bunch of those religion to get her to show up. I thought it was going to be more about like holding the council in place, even in this monstrous form. I didn't think people were going to die. And mm-hmm. like I did realize that there was no death anymore. So I needed to figure something out. And then, of course, the reason is you made a bargain with Adama. So I think like Adama was still like your lawyer. It was like she was still on retainer <laughs> for you. And I think that was really what happened from like the challenge episode onward, especially when she was so involved in the epilogue. And our final finale question is from Paul. Were there any other versions of the final showdown with the council in your head that could have come about under different circumstances? Like what it might have looked like if a certain saving throw was made at the end of Hunting Party, for example? Ah, uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> I think this is related. Can you bring up the thing about how OK could have saved the day? Yes. So this is from Chris P via email. So my save the day plan would have been to have Inara ask slash bribe the mightiest of all characters in the JTP universe, Oatcake, with the pup's namesake Oatcakes, do that puppy voodoo that Oatcake does, pop into the bubble, land on Alonzo, pop right back out with Alonzo, since we know she can bring items with her when traveling, then poof, Alonzo saved with the Council of Bright still trapped. What can a good o- idea. <laughs> but, but can Oatcake bring people? Oatcake can bring items, but I don't know about people. I don't think Oatcake can bring Ida, can bring people. If you had really tried hard, we would have had to roll some yeah. really high animal handling. Blink yeah. dogs really just control themselves. And right. it's like the idea that a dog, because a dog can't like carry a person. No, yeah. Yeah. I thought, like, I still, when I read that email, I was like, that's a great idea. I know. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. I guess just like it wouldn't have occurred to me to ask because it seems like such an easy kind of deus ex machina, you know, like get the job done. Mm-hmm. And OK doesn't always listen. Like I tell her things and I hope for things and I kind of like communicate to Eric when I would like for her to come back if she has blinked away, but it doesn't always happen that way. Right. Yeah. I was thinking if one of you had Misty Step or another sort of teleportation-esque or one of you used Blink, so if we had a wizard, you could have, in theory, tried to step in. But it is an anti-magic bubble. Like, that's the whole point. It exists. So it would have been really difficult to get in there and out because, obviously, the Council of Bright would have tried that and they failed a bunch of times. Because the idea is, like, they're kind of just, like, knocking around in there for a long time. So it's hard. I, I guess, and I said this during the last after party, like I really kind of wanted to see what you would do to respond to this situation. And like, we could have had the battle. We didn't have to do house party. Like we could have had the end of hunting party, which would have become just this final fight of like two, three episodes instead. But your choices led there. So like, I don't even know. I really did throw my hands up and see, let's see what happens. And the whole thing, it was like Harriet was there. Everyone was there who had stakes and like, you could have used them in so many different ways. And, uh, you could have done so many things. You could have just locked them away. like you, Or you could have tried to get Alonzo out, but instead you decided to do this other plan, which I think was the most straightforward. But there were a lot of other like mitigating factors, especially the fact that Tracy got commanded. Let's zoom outward a little bit and talk about House Party. We have a bunch of great questions about that. So 
let's talk about the betrayal. So Deadly Nightshade on Discord wants to know if there was a plan for the betrayal. If not Brink, then who was the next likely suspect? And Natalie asks if anyone expected Brinks's betrayal. Why did I decide to split the party? And did we expect it to be Brinks? Because Natalie said I was convinced it was going to be Captain Alex. Yeah, I had a bunch of notes about who I wanted. So like there were people who were suspicious out of that like RPG choose your own party episode. Yeah, uh, Def- Autumn. Yeah, Brink and Autumn. And then I also had Captain Alex as a third choice. All my queer icons, Eric, how dare you? <laughs> I, they're all susceptible. <laughs> all of them are susceptible. Were, I would have said Tammy and Taylor. It could have been Chad and Tammy and Taylor are kids. So like, I, I get They could have been susceptible. I think Zuby was not susceptible, but they would have, Zuby would have made your life a lot harder from the function. Of... Yeah, I've also exhausted all my Shakespeare quotes, um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I would have had to study up. Thank you, appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, those I had in that order. I had Brink first, Autumn second, and Captain Alex third. But like, I wouldn't have had more than one person in your party. Like that would have been overkill. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely didn't know that that was a thing that was happening because when you guys talked about it, I was plugging my ears and singing, and so I only found out about it when I was editing the episode. Right. Well, we did do that because only Inara would have known that there was a breach, which was what Bob the Scroll was saying. Yeah. Was like, there is a security breach. You can't trust somebody. Right. Even me. It could be me. Yeah. But Brink didn't really... For my submission, she didn't really, like, betray us. She just, like, fell susceptible to... Yeah. Well... The will of the... I think that that's what that's what you two obviously came about when you accepted her back. But I can tell you the things that she did to sabotage you. Yes, please. So the first sabotage was what I just said was that when she was looking for an alternate entrance, she was just like, mm, didn't see anything. Sorry, dog. Uh, oh. So that was that first one when you guys were scoping out the area and she was doing her like look for illusionary stuff. She can see illusionary. She would have seen the invisible bridge, but she didn't. The perfect plan, hmm. confusing betrayal with incompetence. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, there was a secret garage on the first floor of the mansion, which would have given you, Tracy, tons of more batteries and would have given you some more items. That was what it was in the front of the mansion mm. when she was just like, let's just go downstairs. Let's just go. Let's go downstairs. Let's just get it over right. with. That's what Captain Alex was saying. Like, yeah, there's this other room that I just I can't get into because there's a lock on it. Yeah. And Brick was like, let's not touch it. So mm. she was keeping you out of that. And then, of course, everything that happened uh, in the basement when she pushed Anara into the furnace room and then when she did shatter and brought all these stalag tight to the ceiling stalag tights <laughs> down on the bridge so those were all of her betrayals I know I, I know that it's a thing in D&D not to split the party but I love splitting the party yeah, and I yeah. love it's so much fun I love doing it it's so much fun to record it's fun for us as players cause like Brendan was saying when we don't know what happened like starting out house party was so fucking fun mm-hmm. not knowing until the episode aired what happened because we didn't tell each other anything in character about that time so I thought it was great but mostly I was trying to mitigate the risk of people falling into the void <laughs> because the rope bridge was uh, sufficiently precarious in the way that you described it mm-hmm. um, and I just knew that like we have a limited number of people. I know we're gearing up for a big fight. Everybody's going to be useful to us. And I just couldn't leave that much up to chance. What I will say is that Anara did not split the party. Anara was scouting what yeah. was next and then she got betrayed. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see that coming, you know? Yes. I, I didn't anticipate anything except the fact that the bridge could break. Mm. Wait, so this is important. So did she, in your mind, DM, actually betray us? Or did she, was she under the control of the council? I, again, this is, it's kind of like murky, right? Like she did things that actively hurt you. And now, even if you didn't know it, now I'm showing it to you. But like she put everybody in danger and she was under some sort of miasma from the Council of Bright. She was possessed. I will say she was possessed, but like betrayal, 
in some ways means I did it. I did it to ruin you, and it was me, and I did it. Or I did it under duress, and I I'm sorry, which is what it ended up being. Okay. Yeah. Well. I, yeah. Because I was curious about her motivation. If she wasn't possessed, then why would she do that? No, but, she was possessed. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. She was under the guise as soon as she entered onto the grounds, like she got it got back in her head. Which I mean, Tracy would know is like the broken lock of your brain. I, I kind of thought of it like a locked door. Right. It was like as soon as it's broken, like it's going to be easier to get broken back into, especially from the same people. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, in The God Showdown, were the challenges created based on the matchups or would the challenges have been the same regardless of who the gods were facing off against? For example, would we have had a different challenge if Inara faced Seol instead of Tracy? And that's from Hannah Claire on Discord. I had all of the gods do the thing that they wanted to do the most. Honestly, I found that more interesting. I kind of had an idea of who my players would want to match up with. So I kind of like assumed what was going to happen. But if it happened differently, whatever. So I did. I always had uh, Devar was going to have the creation challenge. But of course, Alonzo chose his artistic medium. You would have chose whatever artistic medium you would have done. And then... Adamaz was always going to be in negotiation. And then truly, Zayul's was supposed to be a higher low. Like, that was just what it was. So if it wasn't Tracy and there wasn't a vendetta, like it would have just been a trickery thing. And then you would have had to do any sort of trickery or sleight of hand or anything to have a higher card than him. That was 100% what it was. God, so annoying. So Zayul. I cannot fucking believe the thing was, like, I didn't shuffle it that well because it was a new deck. And, like, the fact that you guys pulled the Mm. same card, that was wild. Yeah. I think it really worked. That was genuine, and that really worked for the story, I think. Totally. And then for our final house party question here, Cass from Discord asks, I want to know what all the things in that rhyme mean. Some are obvious, but someone mentioned that there were also, like, seven prophets somewhere. And that didn't come up during the podcast. I'd be really curious to hear a full explanation of everything mentioned in the rhyme. So a lot of this stuff that I put in the rhyme were just, like, world-building things. Like, things of which we never touched on. So things that were in religious iconography. And it's, like... There's a lot of stuff in here, but you got to pull out the thing that means stuff to you. So 13 are the languages in our land. I don't know. Let's official languages of the things. 12 are the numbers on the hour hand, obviously regular clocks. 11 are how many fingers Zayol has. I just like the idea that Zayol has an extra finger. I hate that motherfucker so much. 10 are the bard tricks of pizzazz, which again, there could have, I, in my head, there was like a fable of like a, a bard that performed like wonders and it changed some town or, yeah. or something uh nine are the festival you mean lib- jesus eric is jesus a <laughs> yes bard? it was jesus jesus is a bard you heard it here first uh nine are the festival's libertine so there was like a nine day festival in the spring of like also what a good rhyme party yeah, thank you no very good darn. eight are the miles of great green there you go yeah um seven are the prophets actual so this is this is the thing i was think you were talking about is like in the i think that there are just like seven prophets throughout the books of the whatever religion is i mean again you know you know me i pull a lot of shit from the torah (laughs) and from like the the jewish faith and all those books but like there are a ton of books just like about prophets and like stories that they do so i like the idea that there were just like seven seven books of the prophets six are the gleaming capitals so each city state and then uh concentra five are the items the bright does fear so the the Five items. The five items. <laughs> uh, four are the houses of a mouse's ear. I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Three are the gods we all pray to. Two are the light and the dark we knew. There we go. And then one is us, concentric and true. So there you go. Yeah. A nice little uh, propaganda rhyme. 
Makes it's sense. not propaganda. It's like but, religious but, yeah, iconography like, pulled together. And like nationality and state building. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Propaganda. Yeah. Again, from <laughs> what we talked about is like I to pull that it's all from. all spectrum, man. <laughs> like we talked about, I pulled this from Passover and the uh, who knows one song that you do there. Is it the same melody? Basically, yes. Cool. That's so awesome. I, I, I really that. like that. And you know, I love pulling structures from other places and, and putting it onto our game. Let's move now into some DM-specific questions. All of them kind of have been so far, but I'm just cutting off the part where Brandon and I have to say emotional things, <laughs> which I think Brandon is uh, on board with, yeah? Yeah. So, Eric, if you could go back in time and change one dice roll in the campaign to a success or failure, which would it be and why? I think all of us can answer this one, though. Yeah, mine's just all the ones. <laughs> all the, I this re- is from a wild squirrel, by the way. It's great. I, I want to do, like, ones for you. I think that for Brandon... The fact that you had to barter with Adama one more time that you couldn't even get your goddamn amazing shot off, that yeah. killed me. Yeah. That killed me so much because I'm like, we already set up the batteries, but like, I do need this to be an attack roll. I wouldn't change that, though. I liked the way it played out. I think it was integral to the way that Tracy's character played out at the end of the story. I think that Tracy got what he wanted, even if it's sad for everybody else, and that's why I love the epilogue. It's not sad. <laughs> Everyone else thinks <laughs> we'll, it's sad. We'll talk about this later, but it's not sad. No, let's do it now. Let's do it. Okay, so Tracy is a complex character. This is what I love about Tracy in this character is that I guess in the tradition of a lot of um, like shows like this or podcasts, like all the characters have like nice backstories. But the reality is that Tracy is a complex character that makes bad decisions a lot of the time. And the easy decision for him was to say, well, it's easier for me to just scrub the past than try to like reclaim it and fix it. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, he was he got some advantages and he got some disadvantages from that. But like ultimately, like he didn't necessarily grow as much as you would have hoped he'd grow from this experience no that's true that's definitely true i think that makes him more three-dimensional i think it makes him more real and like i don't think it's sad i think it's like um it's only sad if you think that like the way that people have certain personalities and the way they think is sad which is like no, it's just how, how they are, you know? I would say that it's sad for, as listeners. Like, I put myself in the listener's shoes and be like, I just went on this entire journey with this robo-boy who I love so much, and at the end, all he wants is for no one to remember him. Like, that is a fact as someone who participates in the story. That's sad. And, like, we did facilitate that, and I'm... Tracy did kind of get what they want, but I think cosmically, it's, like, vacuous. No, that's nothing about you and your choices as a player and Tracy as a person. But I think yeah. as the story goes, it's a mind erasure and the erasure of memories and the story that we have all just participated in. Like that's kind of a bummer. The fact that like it's all gone. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't agree with that. I. I don't think though that Tracy's like ask. Like literally, his ask was for people to not to, rem- to remember him. But his ask wasn't specifically like I don't want to be remembered. His ask was more like, what is the easiest path to like solving the majority of my issues and that happened to be what the answer was so it's not like he was like i don't want to be remembered thus like there's a solution it's like what's the best solution and what's the easiest avenue to get there yeah like what are you willing to give up yeah and i actually saw it as a little bit hopeful um where instead of being defined by this thing that happened which you know, was traumatic and had a lot to do with tracy as a warforge and reckoning with like what that meant the betrayal, all that stuff, you can start fresh. And mm-hmm. that might not be everybody's first choice, but I think it does invite us to ask really interesting questions about like what stories are meaningful, what experiences are meaningful for us, and what a like a good or a satisfying outcome means. 
Exactly. I love that. And I think also as a character, I don't think he realized this at the time, but the nice outcome of what he did is that Tracy as a legend becomes a legend. Yeah. And now there is a second Warforge out there that exists. And he gets to say like, there's more than one of us. Sure. Acknowledge us as a species and we'll work towards like repairing this divide that we created. Yeah. So it's not just like Tracy the hero and like people celebrating the hero. It's like, here's this average Warforge that we can all acknowledge is a is a person, you know? Yeah, I think we alluded to that a little bit in the epilogue. But it is interesting how we went from one Warforged in the world to like an invading army of Warforged. Right. Now we're back to one. Even if it's different though. Right. Which I think is interesting. But there's two in people's consciousness. Yeah. In the consciousness, yeah, there's two now. And that's important yeah. as opposed to one. There's one walking the world, but there's two in like popular imagination. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for Anara, I would say the, the dice roll I wish I could change for you is just like the messiness of the assassination in Pool Party. Like that, it was just Dark. a mess. Yeah. Like the was. whole thing was a mess. And it like, was. I really, I was like, I really just wanted to get in there and stab this fucking T-Flag and just get <laughs> it over with. But like, there was so much negotiation and messiness and like saving Ev and all that stuff. It just did not go the way because your roles were kind of bogus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, I, I'm trying to sit here and think of something else. I think I nerfed myself the first time I wanted to flirt with Brinks. And I was like, Inara flirts badly. And then you were like, you don't have to say it's bad. You can try. And I was like, I can try? And then so, you were like, I fall in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe maybe I would have uh, known a little bit better. And, like, listen, I'm sure looking back, there's lots of ways. I finally know how to play a rogue now uh, at the end. But um, <laughs> it's not the way it goes. I know. I know. And I'm I'm. Looking forward to applying a lot of those lessons to the next campaign. Mm -hmm. But um, I really, you know, it's so cliche, but I, I wouldn't change a thing. I think the only thing that I would really like to change, just as honestly as a fan, I wish I could have gotten Vince to come and eat the Council of Brian. I know. I know. That would have been so good. <laughs> we we ended up cutting that, but Brandon was yeah. like, I want to call Vince on the phone. And I'm like, you're using this now? <laughs> yeah. The only reason I cut it because I it, there was a large buildup um, from the beginning of the episode towards the end, and it was a, such an unsatisfying payoff to not have me land that role that I didn't want the audience to feel exactly. like un yeah unfulfilled. So, but yeah, I spent like I, my whole plot was giving him the sending stone so I could call him back at the last I know, battle. I know. <laughs> I was hoping work. you would have called him for, and he would have been a part of your party in house party. I know. I didn't think about it. It's like that was an opposite. Like I, I like, wanted to be dramatic. <laughs> well, what I what I said was like these are people that I came up with who I know are nearby. Yeah. Choose whoever you want. Yeah. And I'll come up with new stats. But I, I was hoping that that's where Vince would have shown up. Yeah. I know. I had such. I thought he was going to show up in labor party. I thought he was going to show up in so many places. And Vince. He just never did. Yeah. Vince. Vince is a good character. What a good boy. He's a good cat boy. Good cat. Speaking Meow. of our favorite NPCs, Eric, if you could pick one NPC to fully flesh out, start all over, and play as a PC, who would it be and why? Oh, that's is a good question. Is it our softest lion friend, Vince? It might have been Vince. I think Vince needed more shine. I really want to do more stuff with Ev. Ev was great. Ev yeah. was yeah. great. And just like playing him as like a very acrobatic, like a swashbuckler or a fighter yeah. or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Because we never like, he got kidnapped and he really wasn't able to be messed with a little bit. I want to uh, know Greg better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Greg existed as a foil to what you thought and what the world was. I mean, Greg was a big part of the campaign when you think about it. Even He's as just like, an, yeah. he was like, you established immediately what his deal was when Tracy attacked him <laughs> and critted on him. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we had to figure it out. Like the whole the whole Labor Party arc was about Greg, yeah. really. So I think that he was just like a, a moving force in the background. And um, 
being able to write those letters and being able to use PJ for that was really important for me. And like shout out to friends at the table for like getting me to think about that stuff. But I really like the idea of people writing letters and emails and text messages. One way communications are very interesting to me. And that question was from Megan, by the way. Uh, here's another from Zach. What were your favorite concentric city-states to create? Oh, my God. Fucking the whole Bachelorette. What were your favorite ones to say out loud a bunch? <laughs> God, if I never have to remember which one is which for the rest of my life, I'll be so yeah, happy. Yeah, brutal. Um, I really liked the idea of the Bachelorette tournament and, like, the fact that you had to fall through a hole and all so that cool. stuff. Yeah. That was, like, a it's really... Like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So, like, we can talk about that now. It was, like, the mansion itself and the stadium was, like, cursed by the Council of Bright. Like, that's where the Council of Bright had his fucking, like, Roman gladiator champions. Yeah. Champion fights. Like, that's the stuff that you wore and the Council made everyone wear white and, like, that's everything. That was his whole steez as a dictator. So I think that that was pretty, he was like a Roman emperor instead of like an autocrat as we know it from like 20th century history. He was like fucking Nero or someone stupid like that. Yeah. So a lot of that, that energy and what we ended up using Hetty's voice in there, it was like, that's residual memories of what the Council of Bright did. And like his energy was in the mud, which is what the producer was, is like residual energy right. of these people who were part of his regime and then kept that going. Was that why the mud person was such a prick? Yeah. Because they wanted. <laughs> their thing to go and like you were a fucking gladiator and like why are you talking to me like that because you're a gladiator and I'm yeah. the producer right. gives me very strong sending vibes where there is like magic you create to make servants for the house and over time magic deteriorates and they kind of go through the patterns that they remember from life mm. um, or you know their version of life just kind of like on a loop yeah and just like the fact that there was a place where the council of brights energy and magic still like existed because remember the whole point of the bachelor tournament is that you were stuck in there but there was an entire city everywhere else that was like what we learned from noto odo right. so it was like you guys noto you weren't odo. even in the city like you were just in like a fucking mansion much like you are when you're on a reality show so right. i thought that was really important to me my favorite part about that is what, how long we took. I don't think it was on tape, but how long we took in the room just to like jump down the hole <laughs> yeah yeah we was... really thought about that man <laughs> Speaking of Bachelorette Party, a question again from Megan. At the end of Bachelorette Party, Chad tells Tracy he knows he isn't a human. And then the next time we see him, he is right back to talking about how he is a human. Is this intentional? What's going on there? This is when you go on the IMDb page and you see continuity errors. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get to some of these right now. So I will say uh, this is a long fucking podcast. So I did forget about some stuff. But I do have justifications for all these things. Really? I thought it was Chad having a moment of self-awareness and being like, I, I recognize that I don't completely fit in. And then he kind of goes back to the reality that feels best for him. Yes, it was what you just said. And then also I forgot that Chad admitted that and if he was going to go through some sort of journey. But like the whole point of that interaction was that Tracy and Chad were othered so incredibly hard by those librarians. And like both of them needed to reckon with it. And Chad was like, oh, you're right. I'm not a human. Like I even know I'm not stupid. Like, but he wants to be an adventurer. Like, obviously, that's the whole thing. And people indulged it. And then it becomes, like, whether or not he understands his reality or not. But, like, again, it doesn't really matter, like, whatever he thinks of himself as compared to, like, how people see him. Like, the important thing is, is that he's a warrior, he's a fighter, and he's a hero. He's our best fighter. Yeah. 100%. Best fighter friend. 
In Pool Party, the flaming sword disintegrated with Jamie. So what happened to it between then and when they found it again in House Party? Does this mean that Jamie is still around or did it just kind of rematerialize somewhere random? And that's from Janine. I forgot that the sword disintegrated. It was such a major point to the end of that arc. I knew that, but Jamie did. So here's the thing. Jamie, again, is a revenant who is put on Earth to take down the Blackfish. So it was important that he faded away, but like that doesn't mean that the sword wasn't put back in other places. So in my head, it was like the sword reconstituted somewhere on Earth, and then the Council of Bright's forces found it and put it in the mansion. That's like the simple version of that, but like we get into a lot more complicated things about what it means to be a revenant. Like if when your thing is done, how done are you? How participatory are the gods? Do they actually care about what you do on some level? So I think that like Jamie was holding it, got sucked back up to heaven and they're like this shouldn't be here and then respawned <laughs> just like respawned the flaming sword back on uh, in the concentric states back to bachelorette party tobias writes i'm doing an inspirational campaign based on yours and i want to know what all the things could have happened during the minecart roller coaster what events could have happened and more importantly where could that ride have let the players go off to if not an artificer workshop for tracy mm. well thank you tobias for i cajoled you into telling me more about your campaign inspired by us and there are some really really beautiful maps that you made like I'm not a map maker at all I don't know anyone who was a map maker so like you made one for your campaign which had a lot of my cities in it plus like the other stuff that you had because you were using Eberron stuff so the art and the uh, map stuff that you gave was like really beautiful there was some stuff like about falling rocks and more bats and just other stuff you could have found in a cave but i think this week came down to where did the minecart go if you had not been fast enough and not been able to control it so obviously we went to the secret warforge room the other place you could have bashed right into the bachelorette <laughs> right back into the mansion it just like had a giant hole and that would have been a mess um if you had fallen you would have ended up back in the gladiator space and like the producer would have made you like do a meet and greet immediately and then do some like really stupid challenges uh, that would have like really sapped a lot of your energy damn <laughs> like, i wish see how good your signature is how good is your cursive there would have been like a drinking game that you oh, had to yeah. participate against each other <laughs> it would have been like really stupid really funny. <laughs> but i did have that those were uh, possible endings yeah sky writes via email love the show i remember from pool party one Marcus Magic Person. Oh, Marcus Magic Person. I love Marcus Magic Person. Will he come back? And is he secretly the Council of Bright's right-hand man? He's right behind you right now. Oh, no. He was, Marcus Magic Person was very just like a chaotic force. There was a person like that in Adventure Time. And I just kind of like the idea. There was just like a, a fucking trickster who just showed up and like decided, <laughs> tried to con you guys into stuff and con everyone into stuff. I had an idea to fold them back in, but I kind of like... Lost them around the way when we got really into uh, Bachelorette and, and Labor Party. I just forgot to bring them back. More importantly, did you just improv the last name or was that actually written down? No, I wrote down Marcus Magic. <laughs> 100%, 100%. That must have been one of those moments where Eric in the middle of the day just like looked up, cackled to himself and then started writing. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> The Wonderful Fish on Discord would like to know, how do Oatcake, Tally, and Joe the Camel get along? Do they ever have their own adventures, or are they just kind of thrust together by the will of the taller ones and begrudgingly make do? Were you doting on fish, or is that their name in the Discord? Oh, that's their name. <laughs> that's nice. I like that. I don't know. I would have to ask you. You, you players know more about these uh, little pets than I do. 
I think Joe the Camel has an entire life at the castle for himself. Mm-hmm. He has friends. He goes out. He like goes back to town and sees his like buds from the market. And yeah. he's just like cosmopolitan camel about town. Yeah, um, he lays on love sacks. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. He's friends with Nessie. He's friends with Nessie. Yeah, hundred percent. But yeah, I think uh, he gets along well with O'Cake and Tally. And I don't know. Do you think that O'Cake could blink into Tally's briefcase and they can like hang out and play? Yeah, I think I think Tally does spend most of their time in a bag form, but I think when they're out, um, I could see O'Cake and Tally playing because I think O'Cake might be the only animal able to play with a crocagator. Yes, because she could just blink around, you know, and learn to play chess because she's super smart and the perfect dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people suggested on Discord that we need to do a one shot as all of the animals. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be fun! And I was like, that's a really good idea. That I kind of want to do it idea. for Austin. I think that'd be fun. If we have an hour for Austin, I think we need a full hour, but then we can get Julia to play one of the people. Well, Tanya did ask if we can ever get more Met Gala slash goat party type stuff and asked if Gaga would be there. So (laughs) Gaga. I think it's worth talking about. Well, we are going to do one shots in January and February. That's what we're going to do in the in-between. So these one pager one shots and just like the really silly ones are so much fun. Like the Tabletop RPG community is beautiful and amazing. And, like, I just want to keep doing this stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, the stuff from Grant Howlett, uh, who made uh, Goat Party and who made Honey Heist. Like, that guy is a fucking genius, just coming mm-hmm. up with silly games and putting rules on them. I really like Dadlands from the McElroys that they just did uh, with Brennan Lee Mulligan as their DM. That's really cool. So that's – I kind of want to do that. So we have opportunities. We're going to do – one with a bunch of friends, and then we're going to do another one, which I think is just to bring Julia in. So we're going to play some silly stuff. Before we get to our next question, we're going to take a quick break to thank the newest patrons who have joined us over on patreon.com slash join the party pod. Thank you to Danny B., Emily, Catherine, Eric, Tracy, Eugene, Andrew, Samuel, Ben, and Catherine. Thank you so, so much for joining. We hope you're enjoying the Discord, the NPC backstories, and all the other bonus materials that you can find on Patreon. We also would like to shout out a sponsor this week, Stedman USA. These are the folks who make really, really great quality pop filters. That's like little round things you see in front of microphones that help a ton with the audio production. In D&D, we get excited, we yell, we scream, we roll dice. And making that sound exciting but also listenable and not like blowing out your ears or your headphones is really challenging. And we rely on equipment like the Stedman pop filters to make sure that that is fair fairly easy, as easy as it can be, to make sure that we deliver you all audio that feels like you are in the room with us. And Stedman very kindly provided us some pop filters in our studio build-out, which you can read all about on our website. If you would like to check out their audio accessories and materials of all kinds, head to stedmanusa.com. That's S-T-E-D-M-A-N-U-S-A.com. We are also sponsored by Hero Forge. This holiday season, I know that I would be extremely excited to get a Hero Forge gift card as a present. So you can send these cards instantly via email or print them to give to somebody on a holiday morning. They can be used to purchase all kinds of minis, both digital and physical. So if you don't know exactly what kind of mini your friend wants or how they would want to design something, since you know your character so much is in your head and you want to be the person making that in physical form for the first time, a gift card is a really great way to say, hey, I know you play D&D, I know you're going to enjoy this, but also I want to give you some control. So visit HeroForge.com to order some minis of your own or to grab a gift card today. 
And we are also sponsored by Lily CBD, which is a CBD company that I use all the time and really genuinely enjoy. Helps with insomnia and it is used to help people deal with all kinds of things, both stress, physical pain, and other kinds of ways that they might want to use CBD to improve their lives. And really helpfully, there are a great educational resources on the Lily CBD website. They have a phone line you can call to ask questions, figure out what works best for you. And they're also really socially minded. So they give 5% of all sales to organizations focused on social injustice and mental health, including the Last Prisoner Project. If you don't know a lot about CBD, I really encourage you to go check it out just to educate yourself. Again, they have great resources on what it's all about, why they started this company, which has to do with like a really personal story, and also to check out their products. And if you decide it's something useful for you, you can use the code JOINTHEPARTY for 10% off your purchase. And now let's get back to your questions. Hey, do you guys want to know the items you guys didn't get? Uh, extremely badly. Okay, I, this is finally it. These are the items that didn't get used in the Join the Party campaign that I had written down. I just want to think about it because the items that we did get like helped characterize our characters so, so much. strongly the that Shadow I want to. I want to imagine what Anara and Tracy would do with some of these different items, like how we would yeah. develop differently. I, well, let's do the there. Here's the general table. This is the one that I made originally when you first went to Duvin Boosters. There was one called the Hack Pack, which looked like a Jansport <laughs> that may or may not have your initials on it, and it could be activated to assist on lock picking or robomancing rule on robomancy rolls. But if you have to say, "I'm hacking into the mainframe," when you do it, it's <laughs> very good. Uh, there were pixie sticks, which are consumable items that give you a sugar rush that give you uh, <laughs> boost your initiative or your speed by like either a plus three on a roll or plus 20 on your speed. Oh, but then so you you might crash if you had to make a con roll. <laughs> That's incredible. But Eric, that. sugar is poison. This is a family-friendly product. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Um, we had the scapegoat, which was a small figurine of a goat. Yeah, And you can summon it, and it will grow to full size and run away. No, Wait, I, I, I got it. that. Oh, you did get that. I, why did I not use that? I don't know. I, did I forget to write that down? You might have. Oh, no. And then you have an advantage on persuasion, and you would blame it on the goat. No. Yeah. Oh, That's I true. You get did that. get that. You totally forgot about oh, it. Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. There were also ones that other people got, like the uh, the manager badge, which Greg had, and the bag of bags, which Alonzo got, which I really loved. I'm glad that we'd use that just for flavor. Oh, there was a branded, uh, like a Guy Fieri branded iron skillet, <laughs> which you could have used, and you would have gotten like plus one to rolls if you'd eaten from there, or used it as a 1d6 weapon. Oh, there was an Easy Bake Oven <laughs> that oh you could used for you to make good berries, basically, but there were cookies. Oh, man, Tracy would have loved that. Chef oh, there, Tracy. Oh, there was yourself as an action figure, which you could have uh, put yourself in any position, and you would have advantages doing that action, oh, which would have cool. been cool. I love that. And then there were uh, fast-acting mothballs, which uh, the mothballs turn into moths, and then uh, would and then it would have obeyed your commands, and they were flaming moths, so they would have done fire damage. Ew. Hey, Eric, I don't think that's how mothballs work. <laughs> I know, but it's a pun, Brandon. Uh, I also had the specific ones that you all had. Uh, the stick of returning Anara got. I had sensible and secret shoes, which you ended up getting something similar when you got Brink's shoes. You yeah. had the grind machine. Uh, there were speaking strips, which were uh, when you could talk to Oatcake. Yeah, which you, you ended up getting. We didn't use those, did we? No, we just our, our bonds. Just, yeah, you didn't need it. It exceeds language, mm -hmm. Brandon. It does. Um, there was an elemental salt lamp, which you could have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> which again, when, now uh, you could have used to light more things up. 
but if you use it one more than once per month, you would have started suffering strange consequences because it was from the plane of water, and that oh. would have been weird. And there was also an abhorsen ball, which you didn't end up using. No. Uh, they would have gotten necrotic damage and if you had used it and rang it like a bell. Dang. Oh, there was a barbarian snow globe, which had a little village in a snow globe, and if you shook it, and while you were holding it, then like everyone around you would have gotten five temporary hit points. Oh, that's cool. Um, there was an elemental necklace, which you could have changed your melee type. Uh, you got a one plus six of any other uh, elemental type, and you could have chose it. There was also the thing that we tried to figure out how to put into the campaign and just didn't work. It was the I Hate Dylan baseball bat. We <laughs> talked about this. It was a plus one w- weapon, but I ended up giving you the sawbone instead. And then... <laughs> You have to roll a 1d10, and if you got a 1, uh, their name would have been Dylan, yeah. and then you would have gotten plus 2 <laughs> to to damage on them. We couldn't figure out how to put it in, because I didn't want you running around asking people names. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to, like, if one of our listeners heard their name, and like, oh, I'm going to hit you with a baseball bat. Exactly. We didn't want to put that in. But I, I love that as an item. I just don't know how to, how to put it into a yeah. D&D podcast. Yeah. And then, let's see, uh, I also have some items for Johnny, which we ended up doing. There was a candle that never went out, even in water. Uh, there was Historian's Goblet, where every time you take an alcoholic drink, you would have gotten plus one to history checks. But then you would have kept, if you kept drinking, you would have gotten plus to that. And then you would have had to do constitution drunk rolls to it. There was the instant ovation, where you opened up and uh, there would have been a riotous applause, which would have helped your <laughs> charisma checks. And then there was something called the Gentle Person... <laughs> I don't remember Connor helped me with some of these. It's called The Gentle Person's Discretion, where you could have uh, taken a book and put it in this binding, and then you would have closed, and then it would have turned it into a pocket-sized book. Cool. And you could have just slipped it into your pocket. Hmm. Sometimes you just got to make up a lot of shit and then see what happens. There's nothing more fun for DM, knowing that some things are not going to get revealed, and like that's okay. Well, that reminds me of a question that I think Brandon brought up. What's the worst way you were screwed, Eric? What's the worst way you screwed you? <laughs> uh, I think the thing that stands out to me the most was in Pool Party, where I set up the giant mistake. And I was like, all right, you guys are going to go in, and a lot of cool stuff's going to happen inside. Because I had put a lot of stuff in there that I was excited for you all to interact with and choose. But then Brandon's like, I'm going to be Batman and go in through the back. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, you're right. I was. <laughs> you, <laughs> you 100% were Batman because yeah. then you also turned Tally on, yeah. which was fine, though, because I moved the snail racing to the back. So like, oh, it was supposed to be in the front? It was supposed to be in the front. Uh, it was just supposed okay. to be in the corner. But like, I was also fine with it being in the back. And then you would have ran into like illegal snail races. So like, you ended up doing the thing that I wanted. But I think that that's where my philosophy of DMing really came out, which was like, prep all this stuff but remember it's a hand of cards right like play them however you want according to the situation Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. no one needs to know what your map is like we're not playing with a board we're not playing with it's like this isn't 4e like i can put a door i can put a room wherever i want if they want to go in through a window or a door or jump out a window like i can just rearrange things and that's okay yeah that's cool because i think it also like worked out nicely because it's it makes sense like logically that that would be in private in the back room and then it also like gave Tracy a sort of excuse to do some quasi detective work, mm-hmm. quasi police work that he thought he was doing well and he was not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys really haven't fucked me all that much, honestly. Like I kind of even re- when I chopped Greg's leg off. <laughs> that was hard. I was <laughs> that was like the stuff in the beginning was like I didn't know how to do it because I was a new DM. Yeah. But like by the end of it, I'm just like, yeah, do whatever you want. 
Yeah. Honestly. Was it okay that I assassinated What's-Her-Face? Yeah. I assumed you were going to. She was a bad guy. Okay. I wanted you to do it, but then it got messy. Like, right. that was a different thing. I think, like, when things you hope happen go wrong. Yeah. And, like, you still need to get yourself there, even if it's messy. Like, that's the hard part. Right. Like, when Tracy fucking biffed his his shot against against Aeol, that was hard to deal with. I yeah. was like, oh, I want you to do this, but, like, what are we going to do to get you there? Right. Yeah. And that's something that I actually learned from Monster of the Week or Powered by the Apocalypse games is, like, a middling success. is like, you do it, but something else happens like it's not as good you need to give something else up i think that that's something you i really learned from um a lot of stuff happened in hunting party that was hard for me to deal with like i it was balancing all the new players was tough and then the stuff in the creative building with um the bear with the bear <laughs> that was tough that was it was fun. so fun that was really fun yeah in hunting party, I really tried to get you guys to go wherever you wanted. And I'm like, this is a city. You need to figure out what's happening here. Right. I can't believe you got the giant oak cake. I mean, that <laughs> you. I was so worried about what was going to happen because you guys <laughs> were so close to finding the mystery. Because, like, none of these people were very convincing. And that's fine. <laughs> like, they were idiots. But it's like... It always happens like it's it's like you're careening off the road and then you end up doing something which I'm like, oh, I know exactly what to do now. And then so that's when the giant oak cake chase happened. Yeah. Because I'm like, you guys kept talking about oat cake and you kept talking about oat cake will win. And like, that's what the fucking Koatoa would do. Yeah. They would turn oat cake into a fucking monster. There's always something I can latch on to. It's just like, I get worried when you guys don't know what to do next. Right. That's the thing. That's always the, the tough thing. That's, I think, like the really nice thing about when you find a, a session of people that really work well together is like the players and the DM constantly push against each other. And then there's also that level of trust of like, well, we can sort of, yeah, start to careen off the edge because we know you're going to catch us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really nice to be able to find people who can who you can trust that way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Are there any story or character details that you wish had been explored more but never came up in the campaign? That's from Racetrack Conlon. Uh, Chad, definitely. I think that what I was trying to do with that was like, where did Chad come from and why? But we didn't actually get to explore that. And honestly, like at one point I didn't care from how much you liked him as a person. I'm just like, I just like that he exists. He like he's an ooze who thinks he's a human, but he kicks ass. Like he's might as well just be a fighter. And like when I accepted that, I feel like I kind of let that go about if Chad was tied into the larger story and who created him and why. Um Yeah, with Chad, I think for Tracy, because you sort of like we kind of glommed onto each other. I think initially as a player, it felt like a like a little brother trying to tag along. Yeah, and so I was like reluctant to try to dive into it. But near the end of it, I wish I do wish I sort of had <laughs> gotten more into Chad because I we grew to love him so much. Yeah. So that was a character you intended to be major that was sort of less major than you wished. No, he added. He started out by being a joke. Like I laughed at myself. I'm like, what if there was just an ooze in, there? <laughs> was in this thing? Everyone in bachelorette party was just like a joke, and I was just like, these are all funny people, and I hope what happens. Um, the the doppelganger of Johnny was also another person that I thought was minor, but then I realized had like very big like reverberations in the larger world, and I'm like, oh no, I need to like figure out who is following the undying light and what that means. Right. Honestly, like the, I spent so much time working on P-O-R-O slash Salmon that like I forgot <laughs> about everything else. Sam was great. But like I the reveal of Salmon, I put so much work into. Yeah. And then I kind of forgot that I need to build that out. So Chad was minor, became major, and then I pulled him back a little bit. Yeah. So who else did you intend to be minor that became major? As I might call it, the stone face effect, where <laughs> we jumped out a window and suddenly something had to happen. Tammy and Taylor, definitely. Like these 
these are just people I made in the beginning to populate the the room. A Greg also I thought was going to be a lot more minor, or he was either going to be like a lot bigger or a lot smaller. And right. again, he he was in the middle. Definitely Cole when when we realized we could pull Julian more and Julia like Cole's entire thing in Hunting Party was like a joke because I wanted Julia to have to do wrestling stuff. Yeah, like I thought that was really funny. I literally thought let's talk about Hunting Party for a second. Yeah, the real build up to that was like there was going to be a wrestling match, and instead. <laughs> No one wanted to do that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine by me. And then Franny became the big thing. Yeah. So it was like we I focused all that energy that I put on the fucking light hammer and I put it on Franny instead. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong, it would have been really fun, but I was so scared about Oatcake. Yeah. I just couldn't yeah. like get near the match. And yeah, I th- and I think we were trying as players to like get faster to the solve. And that seemed like another just like a pathway that would have been fun, but not towards our goal. No, yeah. it's good. I mean, we'd all kind of resolved itself anyway because you ended up using like really following the thread instead of following the shiny thing I made you. <laughs> right. So I'm happy for that. Like we we talked about it and then Franny's participation in the larger plot and how she like fucking laid out the fucking history of the world for you was very important. Yeah, yeah. I loved I love the way she did that too. No, it was it was necessary. It felt like like, oh thank God some answers, but not in a way that took out agency or that felt like right. a like like a, a hand yeah. of the DM coming in to like push us. Yeah. The thing that I was really worried about was like I Really wanted to make sure with Brandon it was okay that you were going to get kidnapped. And then, which I asked you about, I was like, is it okay if you get separated? And you were like, yeah, fine, whatever. And then how worried you and Sarah were about Tracy being gone and having to find him. Yeah. You also rolled very, very well for... Uh, you're fucking not getting confused about the the road. So you did actually figure out how to get in there, which was pretty cool. Yeah. But I think that like... The fact that Franny was fascinated with Tracy as like a fact of it because she is like, oh, I remember Warforged and now there is one. And be like, no, actually, we're good friends and I'm scared of you. But Tracy was like, I'm scared of you. And the fact that their relationship was so headbutting until you understood who Franny was and that took so long. Because <laughs> yeah. fucking, she fucking kidnapped she Tracy. Like, what me, do you yeah. think? Inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah. And something else we've talked about throughout the campaign is trusting NPCs. Yeah. So for me, it felt so gratifying that Franny is someone who, after that skepticism, you know, it was finally like, oh, okay, we, we can trust you. And by the time we got to the beginning of House Party, being able to put together with you, Eric, and talking about, like, Inara leading resistance movements and really relying on people. Like, even though one of those ended up having consequences of, you know, Brink being compromised in a way that we didn't understand, it still felt, like, really gratifying uh, not to just be the solo adventurer like busting into someone's town and you know fucking shit up and then leaving yeah. um but being able to like put all these relationships to use it was really gratifying yeah the thing that i didn't realize when we started joining the party cuz like Brandon and i had this terrible fucking job where no one trusted us with our skills because they thought they knew better because they were ostensibly in more power because they were like our managers or whatever and like that is how so many of the npcs in the beginning of the game started it was like you have to trust me because i am important Mm -hmm. and it's just like they never helped you at all even maximilian like the first person you met was just like i need you to help me because i'm a prince right and it's just like okay i guess we're gonna do that because it's a job and like a job is a job but then like i regret not giving you more people to trust because then it became like a thing that you couldn't trust people so when i tried to give you franny who's still kidnapped and i tried to do the opposite (laughs) i'm like she seems sketchy but she's not and like i really needed to earn your trust 
trust and like it took a really long time so like that's something i'm very excited about the next campaign is like giving a more balance about trustworthy people and untrustworthy people yeah so like if someone flips on you or surprises you it will actually be a surprise i think it's fun too though like in this campaign specifically yeah that that we were sort of untrusting because it, it did play out in the room, like in the literal, like, yeah, obviously we trust you as a person, but like, right. no, you, ha- you did have to earn my trust for Franny when you played Franny. Like we, I don't know how you felt exactly, Amanda, but like giving her the items was like, it was Ooh, really... this is going to bite us in the ass. Oh, that was the wrecking. whole thing. You guys yeah. were like trying to copy things and oh, give her yeah. fakes. Yeah. Like I forgot about that. Yeah. Like someone on Survivor making a fake idol. I was just like, <laughs> didn't want to give her the real thing. Yeah. I mean, this was even from the beginning with Ev. Obviously, there were good people and bad people in the city guard. And you had Ev had to prove himself to you that, like, he was trustworthy and he needed to, like, make an acrobatics roll of, like, 30 yeah. to do that. Like, he needed to. What did he do? He ran off the shore and, and jumped into a boat that yep. was, like, 50 feet away. Yeah. Like, that's what he had to do to get Tracy to trust him. And even then, we had the entire, like, that was probably one of our tensest moments in the whole goddamn show was the boat thing. Where yeah. fucking, yeah. where everyone tried to drown each other. And like, that was just a lot like, who do you trust and who don't you trust? Yeah, I think you're right about it. Like, I think what the difference is that like, yeah, we were introduced to people who were in power or not quasi like victims of, of things. Mm-hmm. And then eventually like the people that we became trustworthy of were the people that were clearly showcasing and they were also victims of the, either the council yeah. or whatever it was. And like, I think our character sort of like vibed with that you know yeah. like we understood where you're coming from at the end of that day i think understanding the speaker is probably how it happened it was like first she was like a government official yeah and then you realized like she's literally trying to hold everything together yeah. by herself and like i i got into this in the npc stories but like she was divinely created by adama as her middle manager to like make sure everything happens okay with the larger council the actual council, not yeah. the asshole council, to like make sure that like everything's okay and everything runs. And like, so she's literally trying to hold everything together just because she's a godly deity, but she's only one being. And she's like, You guys are such idiots, but like, I do need your help. So when ours <laughs> like, Can I have some bagels? And she's like, Yeah, sure, have some bagels. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, Lexi asks, Are there any NPC who, as they developed, you felt you learned from or were able to grow alongside of? Oh, the speaker, 100%. When she finally went with you all, in labor party mm-hmm. yeah like, that was very important it's a me. turning point for us too yeah that was like she can kick ass she has gauntlets she's only done magic a little bit she did that uh that really really like level nine um, aoe attack in the like great the one the pacifism one where yeah. she made everyone just like fucking stop right like you forgot that she has skills and she's like really really powerful she's like she could kick ass she was able to take care of herself and like she was locked in battle with Zeul cosmically like in her brain for that entire fucking campaign the whole that thing, entire yeah. arc yeah. so it was like you forget how powerful she is and then when she needs help she really needs help mm-hmm. and like that was really important to me god i hate Zeul. <laughs> oh, the god Zeul was also a turning point for me that like I can make whoever I want. Yeah. 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 And it's Z E apostrophe O L for everybody out there. That's true. I should just so you know. I should release like a spelling guide. All of the proper spellings are in all of our transcripts if yeah. you want to know. But like, I don't know, you wouldn't know that from just like asking. Yeah, Devar is D apostrophe V A R and then Adama is A D A M A H. I've been spelling Devar wrong in all of my sessions. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Tanya asks, if we could change anything about how we played our character or the campaign in general, what would it be? And then similarly, Phoebe asked if there was anything we wished we did differently in building our characters specifically. Mm, That's a good one. Yeah. 
Yeah, so on the like characterization side, like the personality side, I don't think I would change like like a big swath of Tracy's personality, but I do think I would play him slightly less less laissez faire a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like Tracy just sort of like not did what he won, like he did follow a moral compass, but sort of just like he wasn't always like with the group, with the game, with the plot. Yeah. I do like that in a, in his character a little bit, but I would have reeled it back like 30% maybe. I think that if I had known more about what Tracy wanted, I think I could have given it to yeah. him more and then we could have really ran at it because I had to really hammer it home in Bachelorette Party, right. which I'm happy about, but it's like it took a little, a real long time before we actually got what Tracy yeah. wanted, which was like figure out where the fuck it came from. Yeah, and I don't think I knew that either, you know, when we started. So like I don't know how I would have played that yeah. you know yeah. um, and I think in terms of like actual stat character sheet uh, barbarians suck I hate barbarians <laughs> yeah. I, hate, I, I don't like physical fighters that for me like they're not super fun I, I never would have guessed that I, th- I think you did a great job thank you <laughs> this is the first time I played a physical class I've always played um, magic users and I think there's also like some a lot of downsides to like distance fighters um, they're also kind of boring in, in some places but yeah, like I just felt a lot of times in combat, which was nice to have to think this way, but I had to think really creatively to be interesting on microphone. Sure. And that was a struggle. So I would have maybe either multi-class earlier or thought of a, maybe like a slightly more physical and magical class and like yeah. reskinned it. But I don't know. Yeah, I think my major mistake was having Eric make my character sheet for me. You offered early on and we were all working full time and had like spending our entire weekends doing all this prep. So I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to mess it up, like make it for me. But I think that going through that process myself and risking like annoying you and my colleagues by like asking a a million questions would have been better for me to just understand the fundamentals and feel more like I can choose, I can min-max, like I wasn't thinking strategically because I hadn't played D&D before about like what skills would be most useful to me going forward. So I was just like, let's make a well-rounded character, which is nice. And that's the style of someplace some people enjoy. But moving into a a related question about what we're going to bring into the next campaign and our next character building Mm -hmm. process, I'm min-maxing the fuck out of my character. (laughs) Um, And similarly, like watching Dimension 20 uh, really hammers home to me how different it is to fight on a board and with minis and rogues in particular so much has to do with the physical proximity in the fight your positioning who is within range when sneak attack happens are you undercover and that's stuff that I feel like now I understand and if we were playing a home campaign with a board I think rogues are so cool and I would love to do like a very physical like really in there figure out by proximity all the ways that I can like really like eke out all my damage that I can do but it was for flavor and for character interesting to have that assassin angle and I liked the guild I liked getting to know that particularly for Inara as a character that like fundamentally wanted to like find belonging having that guild was a cool way to start and then of course ended up finding that like with my own party but it was not a strategic choice I will say that we started joining the party right when Dungeons and Dragons started making better subclasses for yeah. all the classes. Yeah, yeah. So it's like there were so that was many the best rogue one available. To there me. were so many rogue subclasses that came out like six months after we started joining the party that an artist should have been. Like the Inquisitor, yeah. which would have been a great one for her. Like the Mastermind, which have been another one. Or just like, oh, there would have been so many other ones. There's also really interesting barbarians now. Yeah. So like that would have also been a really interesting thing. Yeah. Like making Tracy more elemental. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he would have been like an elemental barbarian of the undying light if he's powered by all that stuff i don't know we could have we could have figured that out in so many different ways which is also the thing that happened with johnny like the the undying light or like the what the light 
warlock was just like this cleric-like ass terrible class and we're like yeah we're gonna use the old one yeah like it was so much better (laughs) yeah i think it's uh gonna be interesting going into the new season because i intentionally have never played min maxed because i i think it is more fun for me to play a well-rounded character because i want to fail as evidenced by the fact that I fail a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this going into campaign two, I am going to min max get hard done before. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that, it's like, going to be so great. Dynamic like, pieces together. Especially if we're in a modern campaign where really, I'm really going to push you. You're going to have to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like all humans have to do everything. Like imagine if you had really high decks and really low strength in real life. Like, what are you going to do? Not carry your groceries. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> so I think that I'm really excited about some of this stuff that I'm, you're just going to have to confront from doing regular. Shit. Episode one, carry some groceries. It's yeah. like, what, you're not going to help your friend like move? Like, you're not going <laughs> to carry a box? Even even Constitution, like, you're going to walk into a subway car and be like, oh, I'm just not going to get on this at all because it smells bad. Like, what are you... <laughs> but no, I still have to go to the place where I have to go. <laughs> I so know. that's going to be fun. I'm really excited about that. Also for the the social perspective, you know, like Inara was very disconnected by choice um, from the settings that we were in and our adventuring party does what adventuring parties do, which is like go to a bunch of new places where we don't know anybody. Um, so I'm excited to try and build infrastructure around uh, meeting people and having relationships with people that come back again and again. Yeah, same for Tracy too. Yeah, that was another thing that I wish I had fleshed out. The bombolates were supposed to be like a male service sort of thing, but then I realized they were way more interesting as being like Oatcake's pets. So I kind of just like let I kind of just like stuck them in Fidopolis and it didn't spread. But like that's originally why I made them, so that they could be like giant hummingbirds that took your mail places that's, like it really just, I assumed it was yeah but like you guys didn't really use it which is yeah. fine because you i mean you know letters are letters but you know yeah. because i'm glad that we can just do a straight up modern thing that i could like just not worry about the fantasy implications of all this stuff like yeah text each other i don't give a shit like <laughs> that's how for... communication works. people still miscommunicate things even though we have computers that can contact <laughs> anyone in the world true Lexi coming through with another emotional question. What would you say you'll take with you from playing these characters, not just as a D&D player, but as a person? And I think the same for Eric from uh, DMing the campaign. In the arms of... I'm just going to sing this while you guys answer. <laughs> Far away Despite her name, I am not related to Sarah McLaughlin, and I cannot get us uh, permissions for this song. <laughs> for me, I think, like... And this might, I think, bounce off maybe y'all's two answers, too. Like, I think we all learned a lot about collaboration and using strengths and weaknesses within recording, but also within, like, workplace and how we creatively collaborate on things. And really, like, yeah, like, min-maxing our skills there. I think conflict resolution we learned a lot of um, and, like, how to do that really effectively. I think communication among us three, like, really got effective um, as we went along, I don't know. I think like I think we all grew as collaborators significantly because of this campaign specifically, and I think that has allowed us to work more efficiently on other projects too. Yeah, I mean the whole kind of concept of multitude came out of making join the party and running it and being like, you know, we can have a perspective. We can choose a way that we want to approach these things. We don't just want to make a D&D show. We want to make one the way that we want to make it and make something that is inclusive, inviting, critical, like taking an interesting take on a medium, exploring and celebrating genre while still, you know, 
like adding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was significant just in terms of like personal history for the last three years. Like my life mm-hmm. is so different from when I first like hung the join the party concept art that Allison gave us in my cubicle mm-hmm. <laughs> at my marketing job. Yeah, oh my um, God. And my colleagues were like, what's that? And I'm like, well, there's this thing called podcasts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just very different. But yeah. for Inara, like looking back, a lot of Inara's journey mirrored my own in ways that are frankly a little bit embarrassing because I didn't really see them coming. Looking for belonging, trying to figure out how my skills can best serve those around me, trying to get meaning not just from like the work I do, but the relationships that I make. There's really a lot there. Yeah, actually going off that too, that's something I really liked with playing with Tracy um, that I'm not sure I'll, I'll play with future characters. I don't know, but not none of us did, but not playing with romantic love, but really playing with these different kinds of love that I experienced in my life of like, whether it's friendships or something that's not really quantifiable in everyday life. Um, and like, we haven't touched Tracy's like sexuality or the way he experiences romance, but like exploring the ways that he really, truly deeply cares for people that are different than friendship and interesting in different ways. And I really like that kind of characterization. And I, lo- and I personally, as a person, love seeing that in media where mm. it's like siblings or yeah. family or like something like greater than friends, but not romantic. And like, yeah, I don't know. I really love seeing that. I think we're going to be able to pull on that in the next season a lot more because the one thing that I wish that we had more was like people you already cared about before the adventure started. Yeah. Like just people who cared about you and wanted wanted the best for you and like were rooting for you and wanted to help. And like you had to find those people eventually. And I think that we can pull on that when it's like you're a person and like you have relationships before shit pops off. Mm-hmm. I think that we can do a lot more of that in the next one. Let's see stuff that I learned. Oh, man, this was like the creative project I was working on for so long that like I wanted to happen. And it did. Knowing that we can do something exactly. is really important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was like doing doing it. And I was like, oh, now I can do it. And then like eventually we start. I started Horse. And now I'm yeah. and, like I and Eric Schneider put everything together for Head, Heart, Gut. And now we have these two big projects through Multitude, which are happening and are going to pop off next year. And I'm like, Join the Party was a big fucking undertaking. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do other shit. And yeah. that is very gratifying. It's mm-hmm. also very terrifying and relaxing at the same time to show up to a session knowing that it's a podcast that like all three of our names are on that we all co-host together and I have no idea what's happening in the plot that week (laughs) and (laughs) like it it has never struck me as a thing to be scared of because I just so trust what you're bringing to the table and the world you're making and the fact that if I have a question like Brandon can help me and like if I don't know what to do then someone else in the party can it's just like a very to your point Brandon like a real endorsement of collaboration yeah and the same with like all these projects we're working on like the spheres as well is a similar way where i just show up and i don't know what's happening and i trust my collaborators to like captain the ship toward the the finish line or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. and that's Um, really difficult at least for me speaking as a person like who is a control freak and who likes to have their fingers in every pie like this is truly the take your fingers out of pies (laughs) don't do that no pie is delicious but this is truly like the only finger the pies oh no (laughs) no bad (laughs) this is the only like collaborative group professionally that I've worked in that I genuinely do feel like it's still difficult but like I can be like okay no I do need to like hands off and like back off and it'll be fine it's gonna be better than what I could have possibly done yeah you know another thing that's changed from the beginning of join the party is that like i have more people and dungeons and dragons content that i look to as being good and reference points and like when i look at them i'm like these dms are so good but like they need their players to respond because if not it's just like a storybook like it's nothing i think that it's the relationship between the dm and the players that make it happen 
It's like the push and the pull and like wanting them to do stuff. So it's like I present the situation, but like you guys still need to react to it. Mm-hmm. And that's I realized has been the most important thing about it is like I will give you and I will come up with everything. And like, here's the world. But like you need to interact with it. And then I need to f- and then I need to make the things that were filled in that don't exist. And like yeah. that's important. Yeah, that's something I I really missed in the years between going to college and starting this project. Uh, where Eric, I don't know if you know this, but I I did theater once upon a time. Oh my god, <laughs> when did you do theater? In uh, in, in middle and high school. Oh, and, that's so weird. You've never talked about that. And I get so much. <laughs> I got so much satisfaction from, again, as a person who was definitely a control freak and wanted like a perfectionist, and I thought that things could not get done well unless I was a part of them, and. It was a really like humbling and good lesson from, you know, 12 to 18 to spend like all day every day doing something where I could only control so much. And the final product is something that I ultimately don't have control over. And I I really miss that in the time in between. So having this creative project, taking in so much more RPG media, making so many friends in the RPG community, among the join the party community, like just getting to know everybody who spends all this time doing this like vulnerable and exciting and like weird project of doing D&D is amazing. And it's something that like, I I get it now, you know, I get it why people have campaigns that last 30 years. I Mm -hmm. feel closer to my brother because it's such an important part of his life. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I so value being a part of this community and an observer of this community. Mm -hmm. And then to conclude from AKA AS in Discord, what are you most proud of as a player or character for the campaign as a whole? Oh, man. I think I am most proud of how I've grown as a dungeon master over time. I think that I always had kind of some raw skills to be able to make it good from the jump. And I'm glad that I got that shot. But like, I've learned so much. And the stuff that I'm coming up with for the next season are like so fucking. Like, I'm not trying to say that, like, oh, it's so sophisticated, but, like, I'm pulling a lot of stuff from a lot of different places, and, like, I think it's going to really hold up, and I think it's going to make everyone happier, both the players and the listeners, and also myself, just, like, making it really deep. So, like, I'm really proud of some of the stuff that I came up with throughout DMing that, like, were planned and then went off, even if they were hard, even if it didn't go off without a hitch, I was just like, yeah, like, no, this was really fun. And this, everyone had a good time doing it. Like I said, like when I was in house party and I knew what the map was going to be, I knew where they were going to be. They could go in any direction that they wanted to. I felt very like free that everyone was just going to do what they were going to do. And I felt secure in what was going to happen next. And they're like, I can do it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. The only thing that a DM needs is, like, one person that they can be like, am I doing this right? Am I using this mechanic correctly before I put it in front of my players? And, like, hopefully you can get a yes, but sometimes you don't because there isn't another person who knows the same, like, arcane fucking piece of knowledge from a different RPG system that you're grafting onto your thing. Like, you just don't have that. So you just got to hope that you're using it correctly and it works out okay. And, like, I think that I've gotten to the place where that's happening. So I'm very happy with that. That's great. I think for me, the thing that I am most proud of is the uh, way that I balance both fun gameplay and like pure like character use with like emotional stakes and relationships. It's something I haven't done before in D anD. I've really just like. I don't know. It's like a name and like a like a skin suit, and then like I'm gonna shoot <laughs> spells. You know? um, Isn't that just life, man? <laughs> Yeah, I think the way that Tracy developed and the way that 
I was able to sort of like make his relationships with everyone complex and nuanced in a way that I really like and and make him well-rounded in a way that he doesn't make good decisions even in the end, you know, mm. or he makes really either selfish on one way or, or non-selfish decisions depending on how you look at it. Like, I think that's that's where the real heart of D&D is for me is like, yeah, we're, there's like cool spells, but that's like the, that's the icing on the like cake that is sustaining underneath, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm proud of how I've uh, leveled up as a player, and it's a thing that I find really, really hard. And I spent probably the first two years of the show feeling like a guilty bad player every time I sat down to start recording. But I, you know, persisted, and like it matters to me. And I think that's a lot to the credit of like my fellow players for making that really fun and making me feel like I could do something even though I felt like I wasn't good at it yet. And for Eric's world being something where I knew that I could ask a question, try something, you know, silly, do like the quote unquote wrong choice, and it would still not be fatal for the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And taking all those lessons into a new campaign, like I feel uh, way more secure and way more like I have opinions that can help the show be better. Um, and that that is great. Not to mention, like, we put out, you know, 57 episodes plus Evlog and After Parties of a show that is really fucking hard to make, that we are all really proud of, that we mm-hmm. balanced with, like, multiple day jobs, changes in jobs, changes in personnel, changes in scheduling, like, so many things happening behind the scenes, starting a company at the same time and still being able to put the show out um, is a really hard thing. And it's something that I think all of us have been able to only put out things that we're proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Definitely. is really, really hard and rare. Definitely. Speaking of, I have one last question. Yeah. I have a question. Ooh. Speaking of things that we're proud of at the end, Brandon, your fucking music during this Yay. house party is insane. <laughs> so many people asked where they can get the stuff from uh, House Party. Thank you. Where um, is it? Eventually, when I have the time, which will probably in January, I'll compile all the stuff that I have used for this season and put them all into one album. Right now, there's two albums on my Bandcamp, which is brandongrugel.bandcamp.com. It's in the description of every dang episode, people. Gotta scroll down a little bit. It's right there. Every dang episode. Every dang episode. And it's pay what you want, so obviously pay what you want. But I think, yeah, this last arc of House Party was fun because I sort of like made it slightly more cinematic in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, but I did reuse some tracks, um, especially, I don't know if any astute listeners will, will notice, but I did use some like fun tracks that harken back to the first like themes of the characters. So yeah. like when the light hands came out in the final fight, I used some Johnny themes. Um, I used some, like a Nara themes on, on her moment, like the end of the, one of the episodes ended with like the, resolution of one of Tracy's themes. Um, so that's been really fun to do, to play with. And then that slow down, join the party theme song that Brutal. ruined everybody. <laughs> yeah, the minor theme, the minor turn at the beginning of it. Terrible. Yeah. You're a bad person. <laughs> People love a minor key. They do. They're horny for minor keys. But thank you. That's, um, I'm not I'm not super like confident in my composing skills, and it's not very complex at all. <laughs> but uh, it's been really fun to be able to have an excuse to like play with music mm. for the past like three years. So it's been fun. 
Yeah. And it's in the description of this dang episode, too, as is the link to buy the Labor Party module that Eric put together. It's on our merch store where you can get your pins of all the characters and all that good stuff. You have to play that module. It's so good. It's so fun. It's wild. Some of that shit's wild. One shots that are intertwined with each other. It's fucking brilliant. And the PDF is so pretty. Truth. All right. Well, I'm immediately going to delete all of the names of the fucking city-states from my brain. Right now, I'm done. Beep boop. Oh. Well, we're going to fill it with some very exciting new stuff because we are, again, putting out a bonus episode in both January and February, around the middle of the month. Um, that's the only thing we'll be charging you for on Patreon in those two months. So it is a great time to join if, you know, being budget conscious after the holidays, you want to join the Discord, chat with people, read all the old NPC backstories. You have like 57, 8, 9 episodes worth of bonus content to enjoy. And then starting in March, we will be releasing weekly Building the Campaign like origin episodes building up to our first episode of season two yes and then once we get going it's going to be two episodes bi-weekly and then we're going to have the big after party episodes once a month exactly so every single month you're going to get two episodes at least sometimes there will be five tuesdays in a month maybe i'll get three um and then at least one after party yeah yeah it's gonna be great i'm excited skeep skirp Ooh, it's gonna be so much fun <laughs> Julia will be here it's gonna be great oh, I can't wait but listen help us it's, it's terrifying to take a break it's terrifying to start something new so anything that all of you can continue to do to help convince people to listen and join the party convince them to binge the first season uh, it's all at jointhepartypod.com slash start that's the page where we have like our origin episodes and our all the arcs are listed all of the beginner episodes to teach people how to play D&D um, we want to make sure that we hit the ground running for season two because seriously people the best is yet to come this is the time to binge season one if you're, if you're a person that waits for like all the Netflix shows to episodes to come out to binge the series congratulations you did it you it's made the time. it Tell those people because they're definitely not listening to this episode. So tell them to go to go back and listen. To but everything. maybe they are listening in the future and they have finished doing that, and then it's like, wow, you did it. You Good did job, it. Bud. Welcome. You did it. Wow-y. Welcome. Wow. Here's an item. <laughs> what is it? Gotta unwrap it to find out. That's true. It's test identify. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Come back in March. Woo! Scream! Thank <laughs> you.